0: realized that in the time that Emily had died, that I no longer had that same yearning for my dad. I mean, I still absolutely missed him and loved him. But I wanted him exactly where he was. I wanted him to be there with my daughter. And I didn't want him for myself anymore. I wanted him for her.
1: Hi friends, welcome to this episode of Today I Am Enough. I'm your host, Kara Murray. Together, we will bravely discover truth and joy through sharing our stories. As we do that, we will begin to see and know that not only are our stories enough, but so are we. And welcome to the Today I Am Enough podcast. I'm so excited you're here and so excited that we get to hear from our guest today, Alyssa Parker, and she is going to just going to have her tell us a little bit about herself to get started.
0: Well, hello, and thank you for having me. Um, It's exciting to be able to talk to you. Um, So I am a mother of three. I've got three beautiful girls. My oldest daughter, Emily, would be 11. And then I've got a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old. I had three under three years, um, which was very unplanned, but a beautiful blessing. Um, Our daughter, Emily, um, was a victim at Sandy Hook Elementary School um, nearly five years ago. Um, It'll be five years this December. She was one of the 20 children and six educators that were killed that day. Um, And so I just recently wrote a book about our family's kind of spiritual journey and experiences that we had in dealing
1: with the loss of our daughter. And so
0: I guess that's a little bit about me.
1: Perfect. Thank you. And I have kids that are really close together, so I understand the unplannedness of that yes <laughs> and how crazy it can be but it's it's great to have them close to so I just finished this morning actually I just finished uh, Alyssa's book it's called an unseen angel and I'll make sure to link it in our show notes along with a few other websites that Alyssa has and it is beautifully written so if you get a chance look it up and grab it from your library or for am- from Amazon or Desert Book, I know has it as well, if you're familiar with them. So I am excited for you, Alyssa, to share Emily's story and your family's journey in dealing with this huge tragedy that struck the country, that struck your home specifically and just touched the world. And I, lo- it was interesting in your book to read about how it didn't even occur to you that it was nationally known. Right. And it took a while for that to sink in because it was so, it was your life. Right. Instead of just an onlooker's unbelieving, what would I even do? Right. So, why don't you share your story?
0: Yeah, well, I guess in the beginning, you know, after Emily, when I, I found out that Emily wasn't coming home with us that day at the firehouse, I just remember being so consumed by her loss that Anyone else even caring about the loss of something so intimate and personal in my own family just really, I just didn't even, first of all, I didn't even care. And second of all, I didn't understand why they would care. Um, they weren't a part of my family. Why would they care what happened to my family? And um, that was really strange for me to to be thrust into the world whirlwind of, of just trying to deal with my daughter's death and then learning that alongside of me was this, um, public attention and it was very uncomfortable. I, I wasn't used to that. I, I didn't welcome the attention. It was very difficult for me to learn to accept that, um, there was going to be a lot of interest in what happened to our family and all the families from Sandy Hook. Um, it wasn't just us. And so that, that was a big adjustment and it took a while for me to not, um, angry, I guess, at at just the intrusion part of it and really see the intention instead of the invasion and and realize that people um, were really trying to show their love
1: and support for us and not be intrusive. Yeah, just having that sympathy and empathy for Mm -hmm. what had gone on. Um, So why don't you tell us about being at the firehouse? Do you mind starting there? Sure. How you so, know, all gathered there and how you found out about yeah. Emily.
0: That morning I had um, dropped Emily off at the bus stop, and then I went um, to do some last-minute Christmas shopping. And I remember I received a phone call. It was just an automated phone messaging system from Sandy Hook um, schools, from the schools in Newtown, just saying that there had been a shooting at one of the schools. I didn't know which school and that they would be calling us again with another update. So at that point, I got in my car, and he just started to drive towards the school, not, not wanting to necessarily intrude upon any police or you know, first responders um, attending mm-hmm. there, but not really knowing what else to do. And yeah. my husband had told me, he worked at the hospital, and he told me that, When he was watching the news, it said, you know, don't go towards the school. And so I'm a rule follower, so I didn't really know what to do for sure. So I went to go pick up my other daughter, Madeline, from preschool. And while I was there, and and the preschool, it was in between um, where I was in Sandy Hook um, Elementary School. And while I was there, I was told to go, that you could go pick up your child. And so when I got there, it was just complete chaos and I'd never seen anything I mean this is just a normal you know road just with Mm -hmm. it was a neighborhood road um so there wasn't a lot of parking it was a really long driveway that you had to turn into from the road so I had to park a few blocks down and work my way to the firehouse the firehouse is on the corner of the driveway where you, you pull in to get to the school And so the firehouse was kind of where everyone was congregating, and they had the road going down to the school blocked off. And so I came into the firehouse just to see people running every direction, and I looked um, around the room for my daughter's teacher and couldn't find her anywhere. And a woman locked eyes with me, another teacher, and she said, you know, who are you looking for? And so I told them my teacher um, that my daughter had, and, and she said that she would have been first out of the firehouse, that they were taking any um, any of the parents that are still looking for their children to go wait in the back of the firehouse where they have this big conference room. So I was taking, taken back there with my two little girls, um, Madeline and Samantha were three and a half, four, almost five years old. Um, so I took them in the back and we were funneled into this large conference room where they started setting up tables and chairs, and I remember sitting down and just being so nervous that my hands were shaking. And I was trying to control myself, but I was really emotional, and I had the two little ones with me. And soon after, um, a neighbor came and got my girls, and she was so sweet to take them. And I had some friends and family that um, showed up and were there with me while Robbie was at the hospital in lockdown. So this room started to fill with more and more people, and... I thought it was going to be this room of, you know, parents coming in, kids coming in, reunited, and leave. But it wasn't like that. It it just filled and filled. And then we just sat and waited and waited. And so hours passed um, with really getting little to no information. Um, No one would look at us. Like it just felt such a strange vibe with what was happening. didn't want to say something that they couldn't take back so they were very careful and meticulous with their words with us and and eventually about five and a half hours into the ordeal we were finally told that um emily would not be coming home with us and and it was just completely overwhelming i just um i didn't even know how to process this little girl that was healthy strong my beautiful daughter that had been with me um for the last six years, every day of her life, how is that possible that she's just, yeah. she doesn't exist anymore, that it's she, her body did not work, and that just, I, I couldn't wrap my head around that.
1: And your husband was with you when you found out about that, wasn't he? Or was he not there yet? He
0: was. Well, he came, he showed up about three and a half hours after I'd been there, and at that point we okay. knew how many kids had been killed. Um, but we knew that some kids had been taken to the hospital. So it wasn't until a few hours later that we were com- that it was confirmed that that they had all passed away, that there
1: was no survivors. So tragic. So you find this out, and you and your husband go home, right? Mm-hmm. did you Did you go pick up your girls right away?
0: So at that point, my um, brother-in-law, my husband's brother, who lived in Connecticut with us, had picked up the girls and were at home okay. there waiting with them. So when we got home, they met us out there, and we told them what had happened first. And then we went in and told
1: our daughters about it. So how, how was that to have to tell these little girls? Mm-hmm. Did they comprehend? It was really it was really hard because
0: my dad had passed away unexpectedly only a few months prior. And so because of that, we had talked a lot about death and dying and what it meant. And so I remember Samantha, the younger one, she was just jumping and bouncing on the couch and having a hard time kind of focusing on what was happening. She understood the words that we were using but she didn't really understand the gravity of what that meant. Yeah. Um, whereas Madeline, the older one, was a lot more solemn. And she, she didn't say much. She just kind of took it in. Mm-hmm. And it took more time, I think, for Samantha to kind of process what was happening. I didn't have to repeat myself. They didn't ask questions like, what do you mean she's not coming home? Or where is Emily? Like, they understood the principle They didn't understand how that would affect them. Like, she literally is not coming home. This is what it feels like when she doesn't come home. This is how mommy feels. This is how I feel with her not coming home. Like, those kinds Mm -hmm. of things um, were things that we
1: had to work through. Yeah. So what did the next few days or weeks or even months look like? Mm -hmm. Whatever you could... Maybe, hold on to, maybe hours at a time, I'm sure, some days. Yeah. What were were those times like?
0: I had always been a person who didn't need a lot of motivation to do things. If I had something in mind that I I really wanted to do, Mm -hmm. I could do it. And I could get it done. That was my role as the mom, you know. I would do a lot of the home remodel projects because my husband was at work and I didn't have the patience Mm -hmm. to wait for him. So I just did it. And (laughs) not that he didn't help ever, but
1: I just, I I just tend to be,
0: (laughs) I tend to be one of those persons um, who just, if I want something done, like I have no problem doing it and I'm not a real, um, I, I get restless if I sit around for too long. And so patience has never been my strong point as a person in general, and this was the first time in my life where that part of my identity was completely stripped away. I no longer had the ability to do things that I used to do. I had no energy. I had no desire. Um, It was like all of the things in life that I loved, I felt nothing from. I felt no passion, no no desire to be who I was. Everything that I identified as who I was just felt like nothing. and just didn't matter anymore. It didn't. And that was a real struggle for me to not feel like I was in control of who I was and having to try and figure out and redefine um, everything that I thought I was and no longer felt was connected to me anymore. And that Went along with being a mother and feeling the desire to even play with my kids. That was really difficult. I, I didn't want to sew with them, play crafts with uh, games, and do crafts with them. Those were things I associated with Emily. And so I had to learn to have patience, to understand that all of those things were going to take a lot of time to come back. And some wouldn't come back. But Trying to do that was not natural for me, but I had no choice. I just couldn't do it. And so just little by little, step by step, I learned to take victory um, in those small moments and to not beat myself up for the things I couldn't do, but yet be excited for the little thing I did, which would seem so incredibly stupid to anyone else if they heard what I accomplished. It could be like... I put away half the dishwashing today, and I would feel ecstatic, like I did something. And and as the progress went um, along, I was able to kind of start to see myself again. But it really, it's really taken a long time, and I'm still in the middle of it.
1: I think that's something that's so important for everybody to remember is. We just need to not beat ourselves up over what we can do and accomplish because sometimes we are going to have hard days or mm-hmm. hard times in our life that pop up and maybe not to the extent that you've experienced, but I think we're all so good at being like, oh, I'm not good enough at this or that or the other, and it's so easy to just put ourselves down because we're not accomplishing as much as we think we should be or hope to be. But if we just look at those small victories... It mm-hmm. can change our perspective mm-hmm. on ourselves so much.
0: Well, even this last week, because it was my dad's birthday, and Emily's birthday was right before it, and I mm-hmm. just emotionally just crashed. I just felt no motivation to do anything. And this was mm-hmm. you know, the fifth time I've had to do that, and my house got really dirty for a week. And now I've been cleaning and getting back to normal, but I just, I've learned to just go, yep, that's okay, that's okay, that my house is just a little bit dirty, I'm just going to live with it, and then I'll get back on it as soon as I start to feel a little bit better, and so it still even happens.
1: Yeah, I think it's huge that you recognize that in yourself, though, and you've, you've learned to be forgiving and accepting of those moments when you need them, so I think that's huge. Well, I've had a lot so, of help. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. So, um, how did you start to figure out and redefine yourself? Maybe one you of, I don't know, maybe you don't have to use this example if you don't want to, I guess, but in your book, you talk about going to therapy. I think mm-hmm. it was your older daughter with Madeline, is that her name, right? Mm-hmm. And how you just gotten this new therapist for her. And the therapist wanted you to come and play with her. Yeah. And how hard that was.
0: Yeah. I mean, I literally felt sick when she told me. Because the person who had recommended this therapist, who had explained this play therapy that she had, she does with, with children, had explained to me that he had dropped his child off and waited in the hallway. So that was what I was anticipating was, you know, mm-hmm. let you play with my child and I'm going to wait. And when she told me that I was supposed to play with her and do... play therapy I I literally felt like I was going to throw up and I was a little put off at first and I just had to go with it because I looked at my daughter's eyes and I could see it immediately I could see that she was excited for me to participate she wanted me to be a part of it and and I just had to kind of take out my feelings and, and focus in and be very present in that moment. Instead of dwelling on what I was feeling, I was focusing on what she was saying and my daughter's reactions to that. And and I think that that's a strategy that I've had to use a lot: is learning to be present in the moment and not be overwhelmed with my anxiety. And so I remember when we started to do it, it was it was really fun in. Loose terms you know we had such a great time but as soon it was over I mean I just it crashed me emotionally it was just really difficult but it was again another victory for me that I was able to do that
1: do you feel like that in some ways was the start of being able to do that a little more often maybe yeah you had been before
0: yeah and and I think I've had to learn that not everything will go back to what
1: it was before it yeah
0: Um, the things that I once did with my kids might have to be done a little differently in order for Mm -hmm. me to do them. And that goes with playing. I don't necessarily play with them the same way that I did before. But they were so young, I think that I didn't give them credit enough for how much they would be able to adapt to that and not have an issue with it. Yeah. And learning to do things in small steps has taught me... um, that it's okay to have to wait to get to the next thing. That if I do too much too fast, I overwhelm myself. Mm-hmm. And so I have to just diligently just pick one thing to focus on, and then I go to the next. And so there are plenty of things that I still haven't, haven't done with
1: my girls yet.
0: But they don't even know, because I've been able to fill that time with other things that I
1: feel comfortable with. Yeah, I like that though. I'm sure they appreciate your willingness to try. Are they, um, are they really understanding and patient with things now that they're a little older and can understand more things?
0: I don't, honestly, I don't even think they, I don't even think they know. They don't know what is difficult for me and what is not because, I've always felt very strongly that my anxiety is my anxiety mm-hmm. and I don't want to give it to my children. They have, they'll have yep. their own issues. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I've tried really hard to keep a lot of my emotional anxiety to myself. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I have modeled for them how you deal with um, triggers for the most part in a general mm-hmm. sense and things that are more obvious things that they are having to deal with and, I can't hide from them that I have to deal yeah. with. Um, and so I, I feel like I have abandoned them when it comes to dealing with those kinds of issues. But, for example, um, after Emily died, I had a really hard time going to their school, a really hard time. And, and we've moved, we've moved and, and have gone to a couple different schools since that time. But I didn't want them to feel my anxiety. I didn't want them to, um, one, take it on for themselves, but two, I didn't want them to ever feel like they were hurting me by inviting me to participate in their life. Yeah. Like if they wanted me to come volunteer or do things. So I've worked really, really hard on dealing with that anxiety, and I do that by going to school every day to drop them off and pick them up in person. Um, so I, I'm on the outside of the school, but I can connect with their teachers and talk to them and then... You know, every year I kind of do a little bit more, and this year I've been able to volunteer every week in their classrooms. So that, that was a huge deal for me, but yeah. they had no idea the whole time that that was really hard, that, that yeah. I didn't enjoy being there, but I've gotten to the point where I've been able to kind of deal with that. But, so I don't even think they really know, because <laughs> yeah. I've tried really hard to be protective over the things that, that they don't need to know.
1: So my other question was... Um... When, I don't know, I feel like it's probably obvious, but has first grade, your other girls going into first grade, been harder than when they've gone into mm-hmm. the other grades? You know, I think that everything
0: kind of has its moment of pain
1: where you, you
0: go, ugh. Oh. You know, the, definitely when both of them lapsed her an age, went over, and it was less about the grade as it was about the age. The day that they both became older than her was really hard. And every birthday after that, you know, you have this little just tinge of pain like Emily never reached this age. I don't know what Emily would be like. Would she still be this sweet little girl or would she start being an emotional, you know, preteen? And I have no idea, you know. and, And so each one of those comes with an adjustment and they're all different and very specific to that that moment and that stage that I'm in. That makes sense.
1: Okay, so I have a bunch of places marked, I showed you in my book. (laughs) Um, Just because I knew I'd be like, oh, there's something in here I wanted to talk about. So uh, can we talk about Joey, Emily's friend Mm -hmm. Joey, for a minute?
0: Yeah. So
1: you talk about how after, you found a birthday gift that was for a friend That the birthday party the day after the shooting. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yes. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about Emily and Joey?
0: So, Emily, um, in her class, had this sweet little girl, Josephine Gay, um, nickname was Joey, who um, was apraxic and could not speak as well as some other issues, and so Emily loved to talk, like loved to talk, <laughs> and was well known for her um, conversation skills. And so Emily had befriended this sweet little girl, and her birthday was supposed to be the next day, her birthday party. And we had this invitation, and Emily had spent literally you know, 45 minutes to an hour to pick out just this one gift. Like It was ridiculous. Can you imagine how long that is in a toy store? And the whole time she was time. she she, she analyzed every toy for her, and um, it was really interesting. Now looking back on it, hearing um, from Joey's mother how um, thoughtful and meaningful each of those um, observations Emily had about what toy actually fit Joey. But I she was it. she was very particular. She wanted a Barbie that was dressed up like a ballerina and had a puppy skirt. Is what she ended up getting for her. And so after the shooting happened, um, I didn't know anyone. I was very new to the area. And because my dad had passed away, I had been going back and forth a lot um, to our home in Utah. And I hadn't really spent a lot of time getting to know people. And so I had an RSVP from um, Joey's mother, Michelle, for the birthday party. And so I had contacted her um, as soon as I found out that Joey was one of the and we struck up just this immediate friendship, and we have just been best friends ever since. And we've learned so much about Joey and um, Emily's relationship. And one of the first things that Michelle said to me, because I was just heartbroken thinking, today would have been their birthday, like, how are you doing with this? And she, the first thing she said to me was, I think they're having a, an amazing birthday party in heaven can you imagine and it really took me back like that's where you went Secondary. today like that is amazing who thinks like that you know and and she was such a source of, I don't know, of of just light for me she just has this way of seeing the good in things and so i've just i really appreciated her friendship and and we have such, we have we, we both come from different faiths, and yet we bloom so much from each other's belief systems. You know, mm-hmm. We are sending each other information and things that we learn from our different churches all the time. And that support um, that she has given me has just been incredibly invaluable. But her daughter, Joey, um, is someone I feel incredibly close to even though I never even met her. And, and it was really interesting kind of learning those things from someone who was just so different from me yet yeah, we were so similar
1: yeah i love that and i love that you found someone to connect with in those moments because it's not something you can just turn to some random person and be able to have them be like i understand yeah. i love that you found michelle though and that you just happened to have this party invitation which i'm sure wasn't just something that was on accident that you still kept and actually on my note on that page i wrote party in heaven because i loved Mm
0: -hmm. that perspective
1: from michelle because i'm sure they were at least to some extent i'm sure (laughs) they were you know comforting trying to comfort and be with who they needed to but i'm sure maybe to an extent their cute little girls were celebrating one of the things i was going to say
0: about michelle in particular one of the things she helped me with is is learning what to to tell my daughters about all the kids that had died because it took time for them to understand yeah. how many kids had passed away and and I really was protective over that information because I didn't want to overwhelm them or to scare them. Yeah. And she and I had been talking about that and she she said, When they when they get it, when they understand how many kids you need to she goes one thing I said to my girls that was really helpful was that, you know, how amazing that she had all her friends that she loved and cared with, with her when she went to heaven. They were there together, and she had people she knew and trusted. Wow. And so she just, you know, changed the perspective to be more about the value of having friends
1: around you that you love versus the,
0: the tragedy of those lives that were lost. That's
1: incredible. I love that perspective. So... Um... And then once your girls found out Joey had also been killed, they Mm -hmm. found the present. They found her present. And then is that when you told them, is that how it went?
0: Yeah, because my oldest daughter, oldest of the two, um, the older one, Madeline, was just so determined, like, we have to give this to, to Joey because Emily wanted Joey to have it. She was with us when we picked that out, and she knew how much Emily wanted Joey to have it. And I just didn't know how to tell her that Joey was gone, that Joey wouldn't be receiving it. And it took a while, but I could see she wasn't letting it go. And I just, and I never lied to her. I never said anything. I just kept being very dismissive about it. And finally, um, I explained to her that Joey had gone as well. And that we were going to give the Barbie to her sisters, her older sisters. And so that began another unexpected friendship where Joey had two older sisters, Emily had two younger sisters. So here we had this perfect pairing of two and two where both of them were missing either the older one or the younger one and they could find that in each other. And so every time they got together they would just pair up and just have so much fun with each other, kind of getting a fill of that that sister that they missed and that was really beautiful to kind of watch and see that relationship
1: emerge i love that i thought that was so neat another one of those moments where you can just see that you're taken care of and that they were being taken care of mm-hmm. too so yeah um another there's a theme throughout your book of connections that emily mm-hmm. made with the flowers in her room you, i i love this so why don't you talk about yeah. that
0: So the morning of the shooting, um, I just described the last conversation and experience that I had with Emily, and that morning, um, Emily was that early riser in the family, and so the other girls weren't awake yet. And so I'd gone down to her room, and she was picking out her different clothes and outfits to wear and modeling them for me. And when she got done, she came over to her bed and was like, Mom, I have the." coolest thing to show you and I was like okay what is it and she points to these flowers that we had stenciled on the back of um, her wall by her bed and we had used her three favorite colors which were pink blue and black and we had used them for you know various parts of the flowers and she said you see these two flowers right here this one is pink with a black center and this one is black with a pink center you see that? And I said, yeah. She said, they're connected. There's a connection between them. Isn't that amazing? And I just kind of laughed and was like, yeah, that's amazing. And then she went on to then say, everything's connected. There is connections everywhere. Do you see all of them? Isn't it exciting? And she just I remember standing on her bed with her hands up in the air when she said it. Just She was so excited about this new concept that she understood that you know, there was connections yeah. somewhere. I and so when someone passes away, you go to that last moment you have with them and, and you think about it all the time. And, and so as I thought about her words, there were so many times where that came back to me where something would happen and we would have an experience and I'd hear her voice to see those connections, to see that this is connected. And it was a, a beautiful um, visual
1: for my experience and kind of understanding what had happened to a family. Yeah, there was times in your book, even while I was reading, and I was like, look, the connection. It was so, yeah, <laughs> just like little things, but it was um, amazing. So, one part of, of your story and Emily's story that was so touching to me was um, so you lived in Connecticut. And Emily mm-hmm. is buried in Utah, right? Yeah. And um, was when you, I was so touched by the whole chapter, probably, of when you and your husband went to the funeral home and then your experience mm-hmm. of Emily's experience getting to Utah. It, yeah. You can tell us about Do you it. Want yeah. to <laughs> yeah. You want um, me
0: tell? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, just to kind of. Set it up a little bit, you know. I, I was really struggling with the idea of shipping Emily to Utah, and the idea of her being like cold cargo. The idea that it just really was emotional for me. I, I didn't like the idea of of how that felt um, and how that would look. And when we got to Utah, and first off, it was beautiful was we entered into, um, you know, into the towns near em- or near where I was raised and the, you know, coming into the city that I was raised to thousands and thousands of people had tied all these pink ribbons um, in memory of Emily. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences I'd ever had in my life where I just was overwhelmed with the kindness and thought that other people had just the service that they were rendering you know, not knowing what to do but showing how much they loved and cared about my daughter and so that was really beautiful to see just this overwhelming amount of pink everywhere I turned and so as I made my way um, back to um, the city that I grew up in the next morning we um, woke up and went to the funeral home to start making arrangements which was the same funeral home I had just been to with my dad and so I just I just felt awful calling As we pulled into um, the funeral home and started walking up, there's these stairs that you can um, enter from either side of the funeral home that kind of go up like a triangle, you know. And along this railing was just covered with just flowers and stuffed animals, just all sorts of things. And I thought, what in the world is this? And so we went up to the funeral director who greeted us outside. What is this? And he said, "This came with Emily." And I said, "What do you mean it came with Emily?" He said, "It literally came with your daughter. That in all the different places that Emily's body was taken, um, the airline that had been transporting Emily, they, um, all the different employees were leaving things with her as she was traveling. She had to make, I think, three or four stops on her way to." Utah, and every time she was handled, all of the employees would line up and respectfully leave things with her as they traveled and took her. And when she came to Utah, we had heard from a friend of ours that um, they asked everyone to stay on the plane and remain in their seats while they took Emily off the plane. So everyone stayed in their seats, and they took Emily off the plane. And we got these cards from all of the crews that handled Emily. And not just the crews, but also the, um, the baggage claim um, employees, just everyone who was involved. We got three different cards just full of their names. And, and it was so incredibly powerful and overwhelming to see um, how much love and care that they took with my daughter. And it changed that image of her transportation completely for me. It just this beautiful moment of love and kindness and respect towards you know, what she had gone through in her super body. And it, was just, it was just such a beautiful moment for me.
1: There's this lady at church who's had this, her son was killed while he was serving an LDS mission. And a lot of people in the congregation seem to define her by that, is that right?
0: Yeah, it was just something that was always brought up when she was introduced or talked about. And so I had kind of noticed that um, pattern prior to Emily even dying, that this was kind of something that that people mentioned when they mentioned who she was. And so after Emily died, and I I went back to church, um, and I was feeling very self-conscious, and I didn't want to be there. I didn't want the attention. I didn't want to see the families that were whole, you know, in front of me. Felt really overwhelming. And I remember looking up and seeing her and realizing you know, she was probably the only person in that room who had felt exactly how I had felt to some degree. And, and so, I, you know, I kind of talked to her loosely that day, but it was more just the idea of her in that moment that really helped strengthen me, that it was possible and give me a little bit of perspective that I just, I just needed to give it time. And. It was soon after that that she, she was teaching my my daughter Madeline's um, class at school, or at, at church, and so she had offered to talk to me if, if and when I was ready, and so we finally took her up on it and had her and her husband come over and just struck up this friendship with him, and she just told me just some of the most amazing advice and, and things um, to really help change my perspective a little bit about what I was going through and what the future looked like, because up to that point, the only people I had really been talking to were people who were in the exact same position that I was at, who didn't have that perspective and have that experience, and she offered to me um, something that was really hard to find at that point.
1: Yeah, and I loved that she took your girls once a week, all day, so that you could... Just have some quiet or just sit in bed and cry if you needed to.
0: It was quite a generous offer. She she left and said, you know, I'm in a position to serve, and I would love to take your girls once a week. And there's no expectations for what you do in that day. You do whatever you need to do, and I'm going to take them and offer you just some time to be reflective and, and have the time that you need. I remember needing that, and it's incredibly um, important for you to have that. And because my kids were so young, she knew that it would be really difficult for me to find that kind of time for myself. Mm-hmm. And so she generous, generously did that for a year while we lived there. The next year, she'd take our girls once a week for a whole day, and it was really, it was really such a strength to me. But also it offered me opportunities to talk to her and, and get to know her more and, and ask her mm-hmm. questions and her, her, her perspective. Because
1: um, she's truly such an amazing woman. Are you still in contact with her?
0: Yeah, we are. We had gone back to um, Connecticut um, about a month and a half ago. And so um, while we were doing um, interviews and talking about the book in New York, she took the girls um, for a little while, for a, a couple overnight wow. um, stays. And so the girls were just thrilled. They loved being with her, and so they couldn't have been happier. And we have seen her off and on throughout that time, so yeah. yeah
1: it was so fun. <laughs> so on a, to change it to a different perspective, I guess, you were seeking to feel Emily close to you. I, mm-hmm. I feel it maybe often in this book, but one specific time. And you went to the temple where the LDS—it's um, like our worship, not our daily worship—but um, where we can go and be closer to God, and we make covenants there. And what was this? This—I'm assuming you know what I'm talking about here. What was the specific answer you got? Do you remember what you needed to yeah. do? Yeah,
0: so, <laughs> so I went to the temple. This, I had this idea that, you know, I, I wanted to help Heavenly Father answer my prayers, and the way that I wanted God to answer my prayers was to um, allow me to feel close to Emily again. And I'd heard so many um, stories over the years of people's experiences when they went to the temple and felt close to those that had passed oh, yeah, this is where I got to go. This is how I can feel close to Emily. And, and when I got there, I remember sitting there just kind of waiting, like, anxiously, like, give it to me. I'm here. <laughs> I'm waiting for it. Where are you? And instead, this voice came into my mind that said, you need to meet with the shooter's father. And that completely took me by surprise. It was not at all what I was expecting to hear. And I kind of was taken back. What? Where did this come from? And I had this really strong impression that I was supposed to tell him um, that he had an opportunity to make some good come from this, to make sure that the information that he knew about his son or the information that was to be known about his son um, was put in the right hands of people who could um, learn from that. So I just thinking, okay, whatever I got to do, this is what I got to do to fill Emily and to be close to her, I'll do it. And so I just, I was very self-driven at that moment. Like, okay, let's do it. I didn't even think of really um, what he would offer me. I didn't really care what he could offer me. I didn't want anything from him. I was there to tell him something and then move on. And, And I didn't have any expectations of, learning about his son or wanting to understand his son more. I I really just wanted nothing to do with that. And so we organized um, through a mutual person this this meeting with him. And when we went in to to meet with him, I I said exactly what I had planned to say um, to him. And as soon as I, found, I, I finished saying what I had wanted to say, um, I could see that I had unlocked this door of emotion for um, this this father who was completely grieving and broken and trying to understand what had happened. And the floodgates just came out and he just started to pour out what he was trying to understand, what had happened to his son, his history. And... Um, what he had been trying to understand. And I found myself not able to stop him and really taking in all this information and processing it as fast as I could. And I was really surprised how much I wanted to know When he began. And I walked away from that experience seeing him very differently seeing him not just for the monster that he was that day, but seeing him as a child of God, as a, a child who struggled and who had a lot of problems and issues and had been either failed by himself or the people who should have been able to give him the help. I, I really didn't know all the answers, but I, I looked at him in a more humanistic way and I don't think I would have been capable of doing that to anyone else. And it it really softened my heart towards him. It was one of those moments um, of many that, that allowed me to
1: see him differently. So, in how did you get to that place to be more forgiving towards what he did this
0: year? You know, I, I don't know if there's a moment where I can pinpoint where it all changed. I think it was just... Um, many moments that led me on this journey that mm-hmm. I realized, um, I looked back and realized that I didn't have those same feelings anymore, that I looked at him differently, that that my heart had changed through these experiences and I no longer was that same person and felt the same way, that same way. But um, having that change of heart about him specifically allowed me to let go of the pain and anger and frustration I had towards him, which in my, my view is how I defined forgiving him. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't something that I did once and I was done. It was something that I had to choose to do over and over again, and it was not easy, and you know, I'm not perfect, but as I do it over and over it's easier to do it. And so it's been a long journey of of, of doing this over and over again, but I I can feel the strength that I've received from that. And in a lot of ways, I feel like that was a hindrance, those feelings and emotions and the hardening of the heart that I felt were the things that were getting in my way of actually healing and and feeling my daughter again and, and feeling her presence and understanding her but I, I didn't realize that connection and that those things um, were one and the same. I always looked at them as very um, different um, processes.
1: Yeah, which I thought was interesting, if you will, the connection
0: between mm-hmm.
1: seeking to go to the temple to feel Emily, but needing to go see his father, mm-hmm. and in turn that changed your, started to change your heart. Yeah, where eventually you were able to feel Emily. Yeah. Will you tell us about Easter after Emily passed yeah, away? Yeah,
0: so it was a, probably about a month or so after we had met with um, Peter Lanza, the father of the shooter. And every holiday tends to be more difficult, and i tried to understand why, but in my mind and in my experience, it's more difficult because I could remember what I had done previously when my daughter was alive at that time. That was something that I... Had I could say, on this day, we had done this. And so that was always really hard mm-hmm. when they weren't a part of that. And so Easter was really difficult because we had you know, Easter baskets and dresses and all the excitement. And that just emotionally was really hard. And I played the part, and I smiled and helped my girls get in their dresses. And and I remember going into my room, because we had church that morning, and I went into my room to just kind of take a pause and understand my emotions and what I was feeling. and just I needed, I needed space. And while I was sitting there, I could hear my husband, Robbie, playing music for the girls. He turned on a hymn for them to dance to. And as this hymn began, I just had this feeling that I needed to go towards the girls. And I just got up and, and I looked down the hallway and I could see them twirling. And dancing and, and I walked towards them and I leaned up against the wall and, and Robbie joined me and as I was watching them, you know, I, I could feel Emily there. I could feel this beautiful, overwhelming experience where I was just completely consumed with her presence and she was there with her sisters and this was the very, very first time I'd ever experienced that. and feeling, this feeling, and this emotion was just euphoric. It was, un- it's so incredibly difficult to describe with words. And I remember for the first time feeling like, you know, our family is still together. We are still a family. And she's still a part of us. She's here with us right now. And I went to church with just like this whole other idea and, Concept about Easter and the Easter story and the sacrifices that Christ made, and, and knowing that that those experiences um, were incredibly important and beautiful to what I had gone through, and that, that they were really um, connected as well.
1: I loved reading about that. Yeah. It brought me to tears <laughs> just reading. It's such an incredible moment that you share. You know, you talked about a little that your dad passed away a few months before Emily, and how comforting it was to know that he was there to be with her. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about that a little?
0: So when my dad passed away, um, I was feeling a lot of mixed emotions. You know, I wanted to be strong and faithful with my mother and and be a support system for her, but I was fighting this feeling of um, pain. And hurt that my dad was no longer a part of my life. My dad was my touchstone, the person that I could go to when I was going through a difficult time and I needed some sound advice and feeling the loss of a father figure um, felt impossible for me. And I didn't know how to really um, come to terms with that loss. And after Emily died, I remember sitting in her room and thinking back to that conversation that I had about everything being connected. And I realized that in the time that Emily had died, that I no longer had that same yearning for my dad. I mean, I still absolutely missed him and loved him. But I wanted him exactly where he was. I wanted him to be there with my daughter. And I didn't want him for myself anymore. I wanted him for her. And I realized that that was the only way I could really come to terms with my own need for him, was that it was more important for him to be with my daughter than me. And so it's really it's changed completely the way I look at his death, and I'm so grateful for the
1: fact that he's with her. That would be so comforting to me too, just to know that someone that you know can take such good care of her because he took such good care of you. Mm-hmm. And so, um, okay, so throughout throughout a section, lots of sections of the book, you talk about how other people felt Emily and their experiences with her. And one of them, you were mm-hmm. uh, trying to comfort a friend who was pregnant and was going to find out that their, found out their baby was not going to live very long after it was born. And you felt that Emily was there comforting that baby, yeah. and it was so touching for her, and there's so many other stories like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, why don't you tell us about when you realized what Emily's mission was, and what she's doing, and how you got a glimpse into her new life, and how that's mm-hmm. helped you.
0: So, after I heard from all of these um, people, just you know, just the most random things, and and. And it wasn't just what they were saying. It was what I was feeling when they were telling me. There was just a very strong feeling that I needed to listen. And I had prayed um, that I would understand what Emily's new life was so that I could understand and see a different picture than the life that I had envisioned for her and to replace it with something new. And so as I, I heard and learned from my own personal experiences and the experience of those around me that some of them were strangers, but a lot of them knew Emily and were close to Emily. And it showed me um, more about what her new life looked like, which was that she was a comforter, that she was there to help us during difficult times, and that she um, had this beautiful mission in life. And in this other life, that she was doing such amazing work and, and helping those um on the other side, and I just thought, what a profound, amazing thing to be a witness to, and it put in this whole new perspective of what those on the other side do, um, as far as their work as, as ministering angels to us, and that we are all very connected, and and it was something that I needed in order to process and let go of my daughter's life that I've envisioned. And so I felt so incredibly blessed to have been given um, an answer to that prayer.
1: I So beautiful. And what a blessing to be able to see that and to know that and feel that mm-hmm. and feel her close by you and others. Even if you feel her and it's not for you, I think that would be incredible. Yeah. So what would you say to others that have go through tragedies or that suffer just from their struggles or other things like that.
0: I would say the number one thing is to just have patience with yourself. The same way that I had to learn to be patient with myself. Just be forgiving and, and adjust your expectations. But this just there is no quick solution. It just takes time and it's enduring through it and being able to understand that this is normal. What you're feeling is normal, and the um, the process just takes a lot of patience to have. Um, and so, just to be forgiving of, of yourself as you go through it.
1: Okay. And you and Michelle, mm-hmm. Joey's mom, have started a nonprofit organization. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And go ahead and give. The
0: web yeah, address absolutely. so that people can find it? Yeah, so Michelle and I started a school safety website. It's called Safe and Sound Schools. Um, it's at safeandsoundschools.org where parents can take information that we have learned over the years and information from the top leading experts um, in this field how to make sure that your kids' schools are safer. And we have tools and information all free, to go on there and learn how to get started and to really start the conversation in your schools. And I've, I've learned that it's important to not stay quiet with those concerns that you see and that there's so much you can do um, at your level as a parent or as someone who works in a school. There, there's absolutely things that you can do to change and steps that you can make um, that will make a huge difference. And so we encourage people to go on there and, and look at our website. We have a tons more. Um, things to come with that we have um, a new school safety um, student council that we are launching, where kids can um, create a, their own committee and do their own projects um, that they have throughout that's the year awesome. to make their school safer. That they can use for you know, college applications and, and whatnot. It's just a really fun, amazing programs to engage the student population and how to um, make their school safer. So,
1: yeah, that's great. And do you, are you on Instagram or Facebook or anything? Our organization,
0: Safe and Sound Schools, um, does. We have a nonprofit for my daughter, Emily, that's um, the Emily Art Connection that has a, a web page as well. And, and that Facebook page is the Emily Parker Memorial um, page on Facebook. Oh, fun. And so both of those, they can go and, and um, I have my personal blog, which is theparker5.com okay. that you can go to that has a link to all of those different
1: sites as well. Thank you so much for being with me today, Alyssa. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining this episode of Today I Am Enough with Alyssa Parker. I hope that you'll take time to follow Alyssa at the the parkerfamily5.wordpress.com. Make sure to check out her website that her and Michelle created called safeandsoundschools.org. And you can also find out more at emilyparkerfund.com. Emily is spelled E-M-I-L-I-E. Also, grab Alyssa's book, An Unseen Angel. It's incredible. It's something you won't regret getting, something you won't regret reading, and you'll walk away feeling more blessed and uplifted in your life and grateful that Alyssa was willing to share her experience of tragedy and faith and forgiveness with all of us I hope you'll take a few minutes to review our podcast in iTunes it really just takes just a second and it's so helpful for me more people will be able to find our podcast so make sure you review, rate it, and share as much as you can Thank you for joining us and I hope that today you remember that you are enough.